Some weeks ago, I began a series on the book of Romans, and I've called it Paul's Letter to the 21st Century. And I did that because I believe it's relevant for the 21st century, just like it was relevant for the first century. I know most of you agree with me, but sometimes you look at the Bible, maybe you look at it and say, well, it's just probably, it may not be relevant today. It may not fit our culture uh, very well. But what I've tried to share with you is that, in fact, the book of Romans fits our culture because uh, the culture in Rome is a, really a perfect picture, almost a mirror image of our culture today, many things about it. And the book of Romans is, is essentially a book about the gospel. Paul was telling them about the gospel. He was giving them his heart and his concern about the gospel and the gospel message. And in Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17, Paul said, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, just as it is written, the righteous man shall live by faith. That's the burden that Paul is bringing to these folks in Rome. Why was there a need for the gospel in first century Rome? And why is there a need for the gospel today? Well, uh, Paul outlines that in that uh, verse 17. He says, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed. And what is the righteousness of God? We covered that just a little bit last time, two weeks ago, uh, when we talked about the standard God uses to measure us. And perhaps the best way we can understand it is to use an illustration, and I used one, and I'll remind you of it quickly. Suppose you could run a mile in five minutes. That's a pretty fast mile for just the everyday ordinary person, but you're going to get out and you're going to leave here and you're going to go run a mile and you're going to run that mile in five minutes. Well, that's, that might be fast in terms of how fast I could run it or how fast some other grandparent can run it, but uh, let's just say uh, that you wanted to uh, measure your ability to run the mile against how fast light travels a mile. Well, light travels 186,000 miles in a single second. So how long would it take you running your five-minute mile to travel the distance light travels in a single second? Well, you would need to run a five-minute mile every, every five minutes for 646 consecutive days without stopping to travel the distance light travels in a single second. And all the while, light is still traveling 186,000 miles a second of every minute, of every hour, of every day that you run. It is Im impossible to meet that standard. You just can't do it. And so the righteousness of God, Paul presents it as, as immeasurable. It is unattainable so that he can say, as he hangs the plumb line of God's righteousness down beside our lives, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, no, not one. And so that tells us a little bit about why there is a need for the gospel. But if you look at verse 18, he expands that a little further. He says, not only is the righteousness of God revealed in this gospel, but in chapter 1, verse 18, he says, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven 
against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. So it tells us here why we need the gospel. We need the gospel because the wrath of God is coming. Now, when we think about the wrath of God, we think of an Old Testament concept. Certainly when we think of the Lord Jesus in the New Testament, we think of John 3.16, we think of for God so loved the world, we think of his love, his compassion, his mercy, his goodness and kindness, and the wrath of God is an Old Testament concept, right? No, that's wrong. As a matter of fact, the three words, wrath of God, are not to be found in the Old Testament. They're only to be found in the New Testament. Let me show you some places where they're found. We think of John 3.16, just 20 verses later in the same chapter, John 3.36. The Bible says there, He who believes in the Son has eternal life, but he who does not obey the Son will not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. Paul says the wrath of God is coming. He says the righteousness of God is revealed in the gospel, but the wrath of God is also revealed. So you have on the one hand the righteousness of God, a standard that you can never meet. And then on the other hand, you have the wrath of God that's coming. In Romans chapter 5 verse 9, uh, Paul uses the expression again when talking about the Lord Jesus and he says about the Lord Jesus, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. And he wrote to, the, to, to Ephesus, uh, another city in first century Rome, reminding them of their unrighteousness. And Paul said, uh, reminding them that they too had sinned and come short of the glory of God. And he said in Ephesians 5, 7, because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. And in the book of Revelation, we're warned, if anyone worships the beast and his image and receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand, he will drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is mixed in full strength in the cup of his anger. And he will be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. It's the wrath of God. Paul says the wrath of God, that wrath of God is coming. And near the end of the book of Revelation, it is the Lord Jesus himself in Revelation 19, 15, who is pictured as the one who treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God. Now I want to share one Old Testament passage to try to share with you how different it is and yet how the same it is in the Old Testament. There was one time in the history of God's people when they sort of lost the Bible. And they, they found it when cleaning up. They had a cleanup day at the temple one day, and they found God's word, and they read it. And this is 2 Kings chapter 22, verse 13. Go inquire of the Lord for me and the people and all Judah concerning the words of this book that has been found. For great is the wrath of the Lord that burns against us, because our fathers have not listened to the words of this book to do according that is all written concerning us. The wrath of God is the theme of the entire Bible so that Paul could say, you need the gospel. You 
people in Rome in the first century, you need the gospel because the wrath of God is coming. People in the 21st century, people today need the gospel because the wrath of God is coming. Jesus said in Matthew 10, 28, Do not fear those who are able to kill the body, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. And when Paul was writing to the Thessalonians, he said, he praised them for their testimony. He said, I've heard about you, that you turn to God from idols to serve a living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead. That is Jesus who rescues us from the wrath to come. Now, someone might say, in the, someone might ask you, in the culture today, in this culture that we live in. Why is there a need for the gospel? Or, why is it that I need to be saved? You need to be saved from the wrath of God. And who delivers us from the wrath of God? Only Jesus. Now, the next thing that Paul also says in this same verse and in the verses that follow is he tells us why the wrath of God is coming. Look again at verse 18. He said, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. First, the wrath of God is coming because of sin. Now, what, and he talks about ungodliness and unrighteousness. What is ungodliness and unrighteousness? Well, it's anything that violates God's standards. Anything that the Bible says or that God would say is sin. But you know, people don't look at sin as sin today, really. They, uh, they look at sin as, you know, something they want to do, uh, something that makes them feel good, something that pleases them, or they do something wrong and they justify it. To justify something means to make it right or make the books balance. It, it, it doesn't seem right to everybody, but it's right to me, so, so it's okay abortion for instance you take the issue of abortion as it's talked about so much in our country right now is it right to abort a baby uh, is it right to abort some would say all the way up to the ninth month it is right to abort a baby what have they done they've said it's right they have justified it they might made it right in their eyes but is it right in God's eyes the Lord who said thou shalt not kill is it right in his eyes well then we take uh, something else. Let's take a lie. So it, my lie is not really a lie. It's a little white lie. And what do you say when you called it a little white lie? You've justified it. You've said it's all right. But the, the lying, the Bible forbids lying altogether. It doesn't say anything about how big or little the lie is. So then the lie is ungodly and unrighteous. And abortion is ungodly and unrighteous. Is the murderer in danger of the wrath of God? The Uvalde, Texas, was that evil? Someone justified it. It was right to them. Is someone like that in danger of the wrath of God? Is a liar in danger of the wrath of God? Well, the Bible says that the wrath of God is revealed against all ungodliness and unrighteousness. You say, well, mine is just small. It's just, it's something that's, it's not really bad, it's just small. I, you know, people will say, I'm a good person, I, I'm not a very bad person, and, and there are people like that who, who live by moral standards, they have their own rules and regulations, they go by and there are things they would never 
do. There are places they would never go, music they would never listen to, movies they would never watch. And they say, I'm basically a good person. As a matter of fact, I may not go to church, but I'm as good as many people who live in church. Well, they're measuring themselves against, when we measure ourselves by other people, we're measuring our goodness by some other person's badness. Because the Bible says all of our righteous deeds are as filthy rags in the eyes of God. We don't have any goodness. We don't, we don't have any. So we, we look at things and we say, okay, this bad thing, uh, abortion, it deserves the wrath of God. Lying, it deserves the wrath of God. How about being disobedient to parents? That's ungodliness. And that's unrighteousness. And the Bible says the wrath of God is revealed against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. First, it's revealed because of sin. Second, it's revealed, it's coming because of our response to God. And you'll notice in verse 19 it says, Because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. How do they... How do, so there are people who know some things about God. How do they know these things about God? And in asking these questions, we're getting to the root of the problem. Remember, Paul has this burden to bring the gospel to Rome. Not just simply he doesn't want to go because it would be a nice trip. He feels an urgency about it. The wrath of God is coming, and these people need to be saved from the wrath of God. They need to be saved because their lives are filled with ungodliness and unrighteousness. And the wrath of God is coming because of their sin. And the wrath of God is coming because they know some things. They know some things, and they haven't responded rightly to these things. Our natural sense of someone's need of the gospel is because of what they don't know. There's some things they need to know because they don't know. Paul said, no, they need to hear the gospel because of what they do know, because of what they already know. They're accountable to God. They're in danger of the wrath of God because of what they do know. And look at verse 20. He says, For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made so that they are without excuse. These people in Rome were without excuse. They, they couldn't say, well, I've never heard the gospel. They, they couldn't say, I don't know anything about God. Nor can you, nor can anyone else who lives anywhere in the world. Because there's been not a single day since the existence of humanity when God's goodness, His holiness, His righteousness has not been seen through what has been made. Here's why they are without excuse. Look at verses 21 through 23. He said, For even though they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. Now, 
God reveals himself. We look up at the night sky and see the stars when the night is clear and we, we see all the stars and, and we, we, look at, we look at the world that we live in. You might go to some fantastic national park like the Grand Canyon or Yosemite or all of these different places where all these different features are. You might look at the ocean and you might say, certainly this tells me about God. This, this lets me know that there's a, there's a creator. But in first century Rome, in first century Rome, Having, being able to look at all that, there were statues everywhere of gods that looked like men and women. There were mythologies and philosophies substituted for the God of creation that really allowed men to pursue their own passions and their own priorities. They gave themselves to speculations and intellectual pursuits that, that just led to further and further ungodliness and unrighteousness. Not only so, but Paul knew that there were people in the world of that day that worshipped animals and snakes and crawling creatures of all kinds, and that's still true today. And so Paul said, professing themselves to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for something far less, basically. But here in 21st century America, we're certainly much more sophisticated than they were in first century Rome. I want to show you how incredibly sophisticated we are and how incredibly arrogant we are looking at the world of our day. I read this week in the American Scientist an article that stated this, cosmologists can estimate the moment of creation within a fraction of a second. I thought that is absolutely incredibly arrogant for us to think we can't even run our own economy or run our own government or run our own lives and we're going to estimate the moment of creation within a fraction of a second because we conclude it all happened by chance. We have telescopes and microscopes and we look at the world we can see uh, on the macro scale and on the micro scale, order and design, and yet we look at that order and design and conclude that perhaps it happened by chance. There are people who live in dark jungles of some third world country who look up at the night sky and worship some kind of God, but others who keep their eyes glued to microscopes or telescopes think that it just happened and they, they reject God. And Paul said, that's why we need the gospel. We need the gospel because the wrath of God is coming. And it's coming because of the ungodliness and unrighteousness of men on the one hand. And on the other hand, it's coming because God revealed himself through creation. And they took that revelation and they corrupted it and they made it into something less. They took their wisdom and their ideas and they determined there is no God. And so the wrath of God is coming on people, not only in the first century, but also in the 21st century. They've taken their sin and they've justified it and said it's okay. They've, not, they've measured themselves by their own badness and not by the righteousness of God, which is immeasurable, unfathomable, and unattainable. In this gospel, Paul said, the righteousness of God is revealed. The righteousness of God on the one hand that we can't reach. And then the righteousness of God on the other that comes to us as a gift because we need it so desperately. And that if we don't have it, we're going to experience the wrath of God that Paul talks about. The wrath of God that's a New Testament concept. 
we sort of began this series talking about the question that, that, that people were asking in Paul's day, particularly one question that one man asked him in Philippi, said, what must I do to be saved? And to that man, Paul said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, not adding anything to it, nor did he add anything to it here. He said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. John 3.16, three final verses. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son so that whoever believes on him will not perish but have eternal life. Two verses later, John 3.18, He who believes in him is not judged, is not condemned, but he who does not believe has been condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. In John 3.36, the same chapter, He who believes in the Son has eternal life, but he who does not obey the Son will not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him hangs over his head, waits for the day. The clock is ticking. The wrath of God is coming. It was coming on Roman culture. It's coming on our culture. A judgment day is coming when you and I will stand before God and give an account for how we've lived our lives and for how we've responded to what he's shown us about himself. Let's pray.